Good morning. I um, couldn't think of a more fitting beginning of a new year than to remind us that in Christ Jesus, we have the potential of the impossible within us. I spent some time this past summer reading through the book of Colossians. I love this book. It's from the Apostle Paul to the believers in Colossae, and it describes all that God has done for us, the doctrines of how God made it possible for us to have a relationship with him, even when we are fallible, sinful beings. It speaks of how God made it possible for us to walk in a manner worthy of him. Just think on that, to be worthy of the sacrifice of Jesus, and even possible, it says, to please him in all respects. Wow. I don't know when or if you've ever thought about being pleasing to the Lord, but it can seem daunting. And as we begin this new year, I hope we remember his mercies are new every morning. And today is a new day of opportunity to walk in a manner worthy. We're already three weeks into this new year. So for those who've made resolutions, I'm wondering if you're still faithfully working on those. I know in the past we've talked about New Year's resolutions and have found as a general rule that by this time in our lives we don't even bother to make resolutions because we know what the results will be. That even with all our good intentions on January 1st, odds are a few weeks in we will have already failed or given up or simply even forgotten our original desire to even make a change. And rather than implementing change, our life continues on just as it always has. That's a trick of Satan's, by the way. He wants us to fail and give up in our Christian walk. He likes the status quo, run-of-the-mill person that isn't fulfilling all God has for them, one that looks just like the rest of the world so they aren't a threat to his plans. I think we can admit that all too often he's successful. But I want you to be encouraged today. There is hope because God is for us, and, his, and he is able to make all grace abound. The one hindrance to us being all that he wants us to be is sin. I wanted to look at the definition of sin. I heard a few days ago that Webster's was removing the definition of sin from its dictionary, so I googled it. I thought that if they were going to remove it, I needed to see what this new definition would be. And though they haven't removed it completely, they certainly have changed the scope and size of sin. Originally in 1828, when Noah Webster wrote the dictionary, it was a full-page definition with Bible references included. Since it was a lengthy definition, I selected a couple of key statements that summed up sin as being, quote, neglect of known duty, all evil thoughts, purposes, words, and desires, whatever is contrary to God's commands or law, what the apostle calls the carnal mind or mindedness, which is enmity with God, end quote. The Greeks had a much simpler definition. It was an archery term. When an archer would shoot his arrow at a target, there was someone on the other end watching the target. And if the archer missed the bullseye, the one watching would yell, sen, meaning you missed the mark. When we sin, we are missing the mark of perfection of God's righteousness or of his righteous plan for us. We know that when God created Adam, he was perfect. There was no sin in Adam. He created him with three parts, a body, which was designed to house the soul and spirit, to physically move to do what the soul and spirit said to do. 
Then there was the soul. It was designed to direct the body to carry out the responsibilities given to it by God to bring him glory. The soul houses a personality with all its emotions, intellect, and conscience. And the third part Adam was created with was a human spirit designed to govern the soul under the spiritual thought process of God, which would in turn direct the body to function. But on the day he ate of the forbidden fruit, we're told he died spiritually, leaving a soul that wasn't performing its intended function and a body that was now directed only by the soul that was no longer governed by the spirit, but by its own desires. The word tells us that from that moment on, that we have each been born spiritually dead. 1 Corinthians 5.22 reads, For as in Adam all die, Adam's sinful nature has been passed down or imputed to each of us. It's in our DNA. We are born separated from God. Romans 5 also describes this death that came by one man's sin, and now this nature we were physically birthed with, called the old sin nature, or in some scripture called the old self, or the old sin nature runs us in circles trying to please itself. The sinful nature has become a master. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. This sin nature is in every person born, having been passed down through the seed of the male, with the exception of Jesus, who was not born of a man, but of spirit. Just as Adam was originally body, soul, and spirit, Jesus came the same way so that he could fulfill what Adam failed to do. Jesus became our remedy. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. There is a price for this sin that separated us spiritually from God. The price was death. It would require someone with no sin in his nature in order to save us from ours. Jesus comes on the scene to do just that. His death and resurrection paid our debt, setting us free from our old nature, making us a new creature with a new nature. But we must die to self in order to live for him. Romans chapter 6, verse 5 through 7 describes this death. For if we have become united with him, speaking of Jesus, in the likeness of his death, Certainly, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin, for he who has died is freed from sin. Positionally in Christ, the old self has been crucified. It no longer has power over us. Instead, we now have power over it. We have the power of the Spirit to say no to sin. For those of us in Christ, that old nature has been defeated. We have the gift of 1 John 1, 9, which reminds us that when we sin, all we have to do is confess it as sin to the Father. The term means to name it, to agree with God that it is sin. And then the miraculous happens as it as his glorious grace steps in and forgives us from all unrighteousness. Our remedy is as simple as turning to God, and he does all the work necessary for us to be born again, freeing us from the old self. 
We're given this truth in 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Have you ever wondered then, if he's made us new, then why do we keep on doing the same old sins? Why do our mouths say the same things we shouldn't say? Or our minds go where there's darkness instead of light? Why does our behavior not reflect the character of Christ? The Apostle Paul had the same questions. He was frustrated by the fact that while he'd been spiritually born from above and given a new nature, he kept doing the same old sinful behaviors. In Romans seven nineteen through 24 we see Paul writing, For the good that I want, I do not do, but I do the very inherently worthless thing that I do not want. But if I am doing the very thing I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. I find then that the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man, but I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin which is in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? Paul understood the gravity and the struggle of having a sinful nature within him. As one who knew the character of Christ and his call on his life, he wanted to do the right thing. He, the chief of sinners as he called himself, wanted to follow the Spirit's leading, but that sinful nature sure makes old habits die hard. We have been trained and manipulated by the old master of our life, the, our whole life. Then the Spirit arrives in our life, making us a new creature, and truthfully, like a newborn babe, we don't know how to do the things in this new spirit we've been birthed with. There's so much to learn. How to walk in a manner worthy. What spiritual food do we eat? Seems that all that we can handle is milk. How do we understand what we're experiencing and how to handle life situations appropriately rather than sitting down on the floor and just throwing a tantrum? Spiritual growth takes time and effort to learn. God knew this and gave us a helper, the Holy Spirit, who is with us to teach us, to lead us. But we aren't always attentive to him, are we? And often, as James 1 talks about, we just follow after our own lusts. As Paul Wretched woman that I am, who will set me free? Thankfully, he knew the answer to that as we read through these, these wonderful words in verse 25 of Romans 7. Thanks be to God through Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus is our remedy. Turn with me to Colossians 3. I want to get to verse 9, but I have to back up and begin with verse 1 just because it's so good. It begins, therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. And in them you also once walked 
when you were living in them. But now you also put them all aside. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self and its evil practices and have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and free man. But Christ is all and in all. You see, it doesn't matter what life you've led in the past. He has made you new and clothed you in righteousness of Christ. The language reveals so much more than the translation, but as believers, since we are in Christ, we have a new self put on us. God's grace did that, and our job is to keep seeking the things above, not the things of this world. I don't know about you, but focusing on this world drives me crazy. It seems a hopeless situation when I see the corruption and the evil in every corner. But when I look up, it's a whole different view. My perspective shifts. All things become possible. The Apostle Paul goes on to say that while we are acted upon to put on the new self, we are also to participate with God in the action of putting off anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from our mouths. Paul is good at giving lists for us to accomplish practical ways that we are to implement walking by the Spirit, which is ultimately our goal, is it not? In verse 9, it says, Do not lie to one another since you've laid aside the old self with its evil practices. Did you know you could lie without speaking a word? It's true. Our actions often speak louder than words, and as believers with a new nature, if we are still living under the control of the old sinful nature, we are lying to the world around us as to who we are. This is a matter of identity for us. It's who we are. If we've been born again, we've been given a new nature, one that is from God, one that is to walk by the Spirit, not by the flesh, one that is to please God, not serve self. And God, who in his incredible grace has provided everything that we need to accomplish that kind of living, provides grace that is sufficient for every moment. He provides his righteousness so that we might live righteously. The problem isn't what he has given us at salvation. We know that he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places according to Ephesians 1. No, the problem comes when we live as if that is not the truth. When we don't see a change that transforms our life, our walk, our speech, our behavior to match what God has done inside of us, you realize he has given us the spirit that has love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. If we are not living that out, we are living a lie because that old self is not who we are anymore. We have been given the nature of Christ through the spirit living within us. The Greek word katergatsate means that 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 which is on the inside is working itself to the outside. So when we are living anything other than the character of Christ, when we are producing anything other than the fruit of the Spirit, we are making ourselves out to be liars 
for the world to see around us. If we are not living who we are, it's no wonder the world thinks we are hypocrites, for such we are. Much like Paul, we want to do the right thing most of the time. But we live a completely different way, to please ourselves rather than to please God. Or we simply walk in our old shoes because they seem so much more comfortable. When we take a look at the old sin nature, we can see how it's still functioning in someone that has been made new. An important fact to remember is the difference between our position in Christ and the life that we still experience in our flesh. Our position to us, for us, is in Jesus Christ. We are sealed there by the Spirit when we are birthed with that new human spirit. Remember the diagram described in in Titus 2.14 that says we are a people of his own possession. The King James says a peculiar people. And we saw before that at salvation we become the possession of Christ. We are the dot within the sphere and that our position is sealed into Christ by his spirit. In this position in Christ, we have all the spiritual blessings of the heavenlies. We are redeemed, justified, forgiven, made righteous as we take on his righteousness. And the list of blessings in him continues. But then there is this other sphere described. The sphere that is described with a line going in and out of the sphere. And it represents our fellowship with the spirit. There is a clear distinction made between walking by the Spirit, being within that sphere, or walking carnally or in our sin, and being outside that sphere of fellowship. We are either controlled by the Spirit or we are not, according to Ephesians 5.18. Positionally, God sees us as he sees Christ, since we are in Christ. Positionally, we are right with God. But our experience, even as Paul described, is much different. We are either walking in fellowship with the Spirit, or we are walking according to the old self, our own flesh. That old self that gets us into so much trouble, it's important to know how it functions if we are going to ever get master, mastery over it, rather than it mastering us. The following information I gleaned from a study by Dr. Troy Welch, a pastor-teacher, and happens to be my father, and Dr. Todd Bounds, also a pastor-teacher, who happens to be our son, both who have studied this topic much more in depth than I in the original language. And this is how they describe the old nature. The old nature has an area of strength. By the way, that's not a good thing. It is from the area of strength that we produce human good. However, nothing produced from our area of strength in the old nature is acceptable to God. Isaiah 64, 6 says, Our righteousness is as filthy rags. We all have an area of strength and we all produce some human good. It is the very thing that prohibits us from having ongoing fellowship with God because we do things under our own power. Paul tells us in Romans 10 that the problem with the Jews was their attempt to stand in their own righteousness and not become dependent upon the righteousness God had provided through their personal faith in Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians 3, 12 through 16, we find out what happens to works that man thinks is good, but isn't the inherently good works that God prepared for us to do mentioned in Ephesians 2, 10. 
We see in, in 1 Corinthians 3, 12 through 16, that our human works are burned up on the day of judgment. And only those things that God prepared for us to do will remain. So it's kind of important to stay in fellowship with the Spirit so that we only do works God designed for us to do. The verse ends in verse 16 saying, Do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? He's given us his Spirit to help us. He is, as the Greek says, our paraclete, one who comes alongside to help. And so it's imperative if we're going to know how to walk in a manner worthy or please God in all respects, we have to stay under the control of the Holy Spirit and not rely on our own areas of strength. The old nature also has an area of weakness. Hebrews 12.1 establishes the fact that we each have a sin that we are especially vulnerable to. It says, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. We each have our own race to run and in that race are obstacles that Satan and his minions love to throw in our way. But each one of us have different areas where we are more susceptible to temptation. What appeals to my sin nature may not even be attractive to yours and vice versa. Where one person falls easily into temptation, another one may not even be phased by it. Don't think for a minute that the enemy doesn't know those triggers and the buttons to push. He knows the bait to take to dangle in front of you. Because frankly, we are not all that sophisticated or complicated. We also have a trend in our old nature, meaning we will either trend toward asceticism, that is to do good, or toward lasciviousness or lawlessness or immorality. We might be a people pleaser or we could be rebellious. Sometimes we're a little bit of both. But if your area of strength is dominant, then your trend is toward asceticism. And you have a tendency toward self-righteousness. Your area of strength will try to rule over you to do good, to demand good, to demand justice. Those areas are where we would tend to be more ascetic. If your area of weakness is dominant, then your trend is toward lasciviousness or immorality, and you will tend to commit more overt sin. Now, looking at those two, take a moment to mark on the diagram which one you think you are. Do you trend to be more on the do-gooder side of things, or do you trend to be more on the lawless side of things, more of a rebel? Although the degree may vary, the trend of your old nature is in one of these two directions. The reason I want you to think about this and narrow it down is so that you can see when bait is thrown your way, how to avoid it. You will need to be able to recognize it for what it is. Moving on, the old sin nature also has a lust pattern. Our lust pattern is the motivator of our souls and may be directed toward either legitimate or illegitimate pursuits, depending on where your trend is. The pattern of your lust may be in the area of ego, materialism, or sensuality. And this comes directly from the verse, 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, which reads, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, 
and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. Did you get that? Our fleshly desires and lusts are not from the Father. He did not make us sin, ladies. But we live in a sinful world that is currently ran by the father of lies, Satan. All sins will fall into one of these three categories. Lust of the eyes. This falls under materialism. We need, spelled W-A-N-T, <laughs> we need the things we see. We want the best of everything. We want the most of everything. We see it. We want it. We amass items, perhaps even hoarding, because we want more. This is the lust of the eyes. Envy can also fall under this category, coveting, jealousy, because we want what others have. Then there's the lust of the flesh. That is sensuality. Not just sexual, by the way. If we are led by satisfying our senses, all our senses, how it feels, how it smells, how it looks, how it tastes, how it sounds, then we are dominated by the lust of the flesh. And then there is the boastful pride of life. Pride. It's insidious. Our old nature wants to make everything about me. And we want everyone else to know about just how special we are. These lust patterns may manifest themselves in a variety of ways, but the motive behind our actions will be trying to satisfy our particular lust pattern. So if you're looking at the handout that I gave you, looking at your trend and then looking at your lust pattern, can you narrow down what it looks like when your life is out of fellowship with God? Or do you see someone more, some areas more dominant in your life than others? Do you see a lust pattern that leads you down a certain path? Mark that on that sheet. We really are a mixed bag of all of these. And being concerned about how things look, a sensualist, can look like someone being prideful, someone with an ego. So it may take some prayerful consideration to discern which category you find most of your sins falling under. The importance is to see how the old nature is still running you in circles so that you know the triggers, you know the bait. You can avoid them then. James 1, when it's talking about being carried away by our own lusts, if we don't understand what our sin nature responds to, we will never be able to effectively deal with sin at that point of temptation. And is sin the temptation? No, it's how we respond to it. Being forewarned is half the battle, ladies. One of the reasons we are to confess our sins, according to 1 John 1, 9, is so that we can recognize a pattern, a repetition of confessing that same sin over and over. When we identify our area of weakness, which could be our area of strength, mind you, we can shut down the domino effect and thwart our human nature in leading us astray. Knowing these patterns and trends and area of strength and weakness will also help us in reaching out to others around us with the gospel. I can tell you it's often harder to lead someone to knowing their need for a savior when they think of themselves as a good person. The ascetic works from a basis of doing good and may not even recognize sin in their life. Whereas the lascivious one, 
they usually know how sinful they are. They've enjoyed their sinful life. And if they get to the point where they recognize that their life is leading them to eternal damnation, they might be more eager to accept. The only hope for any of us is faith in Christ Jesus. Whether ascetic or lawless, we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23 And the cost of that falling short is death, according to Romans 6.23. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And as Paul pointed out earlier, wretched though we are, Thanks be to God through Christ Jesus our Lord, for we are no longer slaves to our sin nature. We have been set free. So what is it to walk in this new nature? As we read earlier in Romans 6, 6-7, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin, Verse 7 says, For he who has died is freed from sin. So now what? Freedom can be a scary venture when some, everything is new to us. But that's why we've been given a helper. And by his word, we know there are tools for us to utilize. This is where the potential of the impossible happens, ladies. You see, on our own, no matter how often we resolve to be different, do different, walk different, we still deal with the old sin nature on the daily. But did you know we have the potential to walk by the Spirit who does not ever sin? We have the potential gifted to us by God and Jesus as our example. Second Peter 1, 2-4 reads, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and excellence. Verse 4 says, For by these, by his own glory and excellence, he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. We were given his divine nature when we were placed into Christ. As simultaneously his spirit birthed a human spirit in us and indwelled us. It is our sin nature that separated us from God, but in Christ we have been given a new nature, the potential for the impossible, and yet our sin nature wins so much of the time. We abuse our freedom in Christ. Galatians 5.1 reads, It was for freedom that Christ has set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to the yoke of slavery. It says we are not to put ourselves willingly into a position where we are tempted to choose sin. Don't play with temptation, ladies. Put on those running shoes and run away, far away. Speaking of putting things on, Ephesians 6 through 11 through 18 talks about putting on the armor of God so that we will be able to resist those flaming arrows of the evil one. Gird your loins with truth. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. It's not our own, but that of God. 
Your feet should be prepared with the gospel of peace. And then take up the shield of faith and hold it out in front of you. Of course, your head is covered as well with the helmet of salvation. Then take up the sword of the Spirit, ladies, which is the word of God. He's given us everything that we need. Do you remember when Jesus, after not eating for 40 days, was being tempted by Satan? How did he respond to each of those temptations? He responded with the word of God. It was his sword to fight the battle with. It should be ours as well. But we can only know it if we're in it. So dig in, ladies. Memorize it. Get to know your God by knowing his words to us. Get to know your sin nature so that you are quickly aware when it is in control instead of the spirit. And remember, here's the telltale sign. If we are not full of love, if there is no joy or peace, if we are not being patient, good, gentle, kind, faithful, and we're lacking self-control, then we know that we have quenched the spirit in our life. It's time to confess it to God and ask his spirit to lead us once again. The sin nature is a tricky one, especially if you are an ascetic. It may look like you're doing good, but check your motives, check your behavior, check your words. You may have to confess every minute of your day. I know I do. That's okay with God. He'd rather have you talking to him every minute than waste your whole day waiting for a moment with him at bedtime. Just pray. Note that in verse 18, it says to pray in the spirit. This is not speaking some magical, mystical language kind of prayer. It simply means to pray in fellowship with the spirit. If you have unconfessed sin in your life, you've broken fellowship with him. And God is not obligated to hear your prayer. It might just bounce off the ceiling, much like those pompous prayers of the Pharisees did. The Holy Spirit is our direct access to the Father. So we need to be in fellowship with Him, aligned with His will, under His control. And then just pray. And if praying seems hard for you, think of it this way. If there's an acrostic for prayer, or for pray. It is P is for praise. Remember and recite who our God is. Talk to him about his character, his attributes. Praise him for who he is. We can start our prayers out by remembering who our God is. R is for repent. Confess your sins to him. Turn from your sin. And he is faithful to forgive anything. This requires humility on our part. R means that we are turning away, we are repenting from our sin. A is for ask. Yes, he already knows, but ask him anyway for your needs and for the needs of others. Because again, that shows humility that we need his help. So A is for ask. And Y is for yield Submit to the Spirit's leading in your life once again. Yield to His guidance and leadership over you. So P is for praise. R is for repent. A is for ask. Y is for yield. Hopefully that will help you to think about prayer in a different way. Ultimately, prayer humbles us before a mighty God. 
Micah 6, 8 says, He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. He hears your heart. He has the best foremost on his mind where you're concerned. Romans 6, 12 through 15 says, Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? May it never be. Ladies, let's not abuse the grace we've been given, but walk in gratitude for it. Verse 17 goes on to say, But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart. That's what God is looking for, a heart that is wholly His. Whether you find yourself working from your own strength or your own weakness, the question remains, will you turn your heart to walk in obedience to his word and to the leading of his spirit today, tomorrow, and the next? Father, thank you for your grace that has set us free, for the gift of your spirit who leads and guides us into all truth. May we submit to his leading every moment. And Lord, Where our sin nature is concerned, help us to participate with you in putting off those things that cause us to walk outside fellowship with you. May our actions reveal the truth of who we are in Christ so that you are glorified in all we say and do. May we walk in a manner worthy of the cost of our salvation and learn to please you in all respects. I ask this in all the name, above all other names. Jesus. Amen.